In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. That's Psalm 120, which along with Psalms 121, 122, and 123 are the Psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, April the 5th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We are continuing to look at Jeremiah 25. Uh, Today it's verses 8 through 17. Um, In the Gospel according to John, chapter 9, verses 18 to 41, the rest of the story of the man born blind, and then in uh, Romans 10, chap, uh, verses 1 to 13. So remember yesterday, what happened was, is that in the prophetic word to Jeremiah, he had been told that he had been shown a vision of, of bad figs and good figs. And so the distinction was was that the, the good figs, according to the Lord, were the ones who accepted his way and went into exile in Babylon. The bad figs were the ones who either determined they would stay in Jerusalem and gut it out, or those who decided, I'd rather go to Egypt. In both cases, they chose their own way rather than the Lord's way. And so the, the ones who went to Babylon were going to be blessed. They would be brought back, and they would fill the land, and the Lord would bless them there. For the others, they were going to be wiped off the face of the earth. They will be gone. So the remnant will come back. And then in, in the epistle, Paul talks about a remnant as well yesterday. So today, what we've got is, Therefore thus says the Lord, because you've not obeyed my words... Behold, I'll send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. So when God calls him his servant, is he, is he saying that he is blessed? Is he saying that, that anything of value judgment about Nebuchadnezzar? No, he's only saying that Nebuchadnezzar is going to do what I want him to do. It doesn't have anything to do with being a good guy. It just has to do with I will use him and he will serve me. Now, we know this because later, remember, Nebuchadnezzar has to be brought incredibly low in order to recognize that it's God who gives him the power. So he says, and against, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations as well. I'll devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. The everlasting desolation has to be applied only to those surrounding nations because it can't Logically, it can't apply to the um, to Israel and to the land because he's going to bring them back to the land. So, but he's going to destroy all those who decide to remain, and that should be incentive <laughs> not to remain. But then you still have a choice. You know, you can choose to go to Babylon or you can choose to go back to Egypt, and those who go back to ch- choose to go back to Egypt won't come back. Moreover, I'll banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. So there's not going to be any joy here. There's not going to be any gladness here. There's not going to be any weddings here, no marriages. The the grinding of the millstones will stop, which is to say there's no produce of the land and the lamp, light of the lamp. Everything's going to be dark. And the light of the lamp particularly refers to the lamp in the temple. So it's going to be gone. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. 
So it's going to be an awful time in the land. Uh, it, but it needed to be because they had failed to give the land its rest. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, and it won't be Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to live another 70 years after all of this for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And we know who the king is, Sheshbazzar. In the time of Daniel, we see that. We see that, that Nebuchadnezzar's son has stepped forward now, and he's the king, and it's under his reign that God destroys Babylon. <clears throat> I'll bring upon that land all the words that I've uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. In other words, that, that they're going to go too far with this. They're going to take the punishment that I decreed on my people, and they're going to take it far, and they're going to make them slaves. And, and that's obviously a reference to Egypt. And it's in that time when they become slaves, when they begin to cry out, that God hears their cry because he knows it's genuine. Thus, the Lord, the God of hosts, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of wrath, of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. So he, he's prophetically decreeing that these things will happen. And you can, you can imagine this prophet reaching out his hand as though he were taking this cup of the wine of wrath from God. And this is the cup of wine of wrath we see again in Psalm 76. We see that same image there. And so he takes the, the cup there and then metaphorically makes all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. So Jeremiah is, is acting as an agent for God, not only in representing him to his own people, but also an agent to represent God to the nations. And so he is, he is playing out this, uh, this act that the Lord has given him to play in order that, that all might see it and that all might know that what his will is. In the gospel reading today, what we got is, um, the, like I said, the end of the story of the man born blind, whom Jesus had healed yesterday, and the Pharisees had questioned him um, because it was on a Sabbath, and, and Jesus worked and then made the man work and, in fact, told the man to work. So they've determined that he's a sinner. So the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So they wouldn't take his witness for it. They wouldn't receive his testimony. They needed more evidence than that because it was so hard to believe that this man had been born blind and now can see. You can understand why there would be some doubt. Well, he, does he look like the man? I mean, they've already done that one. He looks like the guy. Yeah, well, I think it's him. And, but it's hard to believe because it's such a miracle, and he's going to point that out in a minute. So his parents answered their question of, of, of uh, is this your son, and how does he now see? They're very careful. They're going to be very careful here because John's going to tell us that the Jews had already decided that anybody who confessed Jesus to be the Christ was going to be put out of the temple. So they're not going to be allowed to worship with Israel, out of the synagogue, sorry. So it's, it's a difficult question for them to answer because they, they, they should be able to say, we know how this happened, but they didn't want the Jews to misconstrue what they said because the man had already 
testified Jesus was a prophet. And now they've got to figure out how to answer this question, but but they don't have to, right? I mean, they could just believe because they know it's their son and they know that he's been healed. So wouldn't you rather fear the one who had the ability to do that than the ones who didn't have the ability to do that? But nevertheless, they're making a calculation and they're hedging their bets on this. We know that it's our son and he was born blind. That much we will absolutely affirm. This is indeed our son who was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. It's as if those two things were different. But they're, they're, they're saying somebody did it. So they're, they're kind of waffling on this thing. We don't know who opened his eyes. Well, I mean, God did. I mean, that's the bottom line. That would have been the easy confession. Except, even if you say it that way, God used Jesus to do it. And, and they've already decided that God didn't use Jesus to do it. So they're having to be careful because they're afraid of these people. Now, you would think that if your son had been born blind and he was 40 years old, that somebody did it and healed him. And you would think that would be the person you would fear and that you would worship. Well, they couldn't get there. So they, they end up with, ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. Therefore, his parents said, I mean, to recap, in other words, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they passed the buck on to him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. So the confession you make that he's a prophet obviously is a lie. It's obviously not right. This man's a sinner. And they've already said, what's his sin? Well, he he did some work on the Sabbath. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. I mean, this is the simplest way that I know to make it. I don't. The, you're talking about things I don't know. I, I don't have any idea whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know him. I've heard of him, obviously, but I, but I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. I'm not going to make a value judgment about him being a sinner. You seem to be willing to make that, but I don't. And, and even though you're presenting me with evidence that he is, that he worked on the Sabbath, I, I'm still not willing to, to go there with you because I got healed. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Again, I'm rolling my eyes. (laughs) He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him. That's what they, 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 he said the magic words, right? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Well, they're standing a couple thousand years on the other side of Moses. The people at the time grumbled against Moses all the time. So, yes, you're disciples of Moses at some level, but what does that mean? Does that mean you keep the law? I mean, and Paul's argument is always going to be, no, you don't want to be disciples of Moses. You want to be disciples of Abraham. You want to be those who had faith because it's by faith you're saved. So they say here, we're disciples of Moses. We're, we, we do the things Moses taught us to do. And we know that God has spoken to Moses. But that, that's actually the charge that Miriam and Aaron bring against him. Has God only spoken to you? So it, it's the same 
you're, you're hearing back. This is, you know, I mentioned the other day about him coming down a couple of weeks ago, actually, about Jesus coming down the mountain after speaking with his disciples, and then he speaks to the crowd, and how that reminds me of Moses going up on the mountain, meeting with God, taking the leaders with him, and then coming back down and speaking to the people. And here you see the same thing. These people are now aligning themselves back in time with Moses, but their fathers didn't believe Moses, and they didn't believe that he um, was spoken to by God. And then they end up with, we don't know where he comes from. Why is this such a big deal for these people? But nobody knew where Moses came from either, because Moses' own origin story was kind of cloaked in this same sort of mysterious um, beginnings. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You're focusing on things that are immaterial to the to the question at hand. You don't know where he comes from? Okay, well, whatever. Maybe you don't know where he comes from. And Jesus says that to, to Nicodemus about the Spirit. No one knows where it comes from or where it goes. And here they're saying, we don't know where he comes from. And the guy's saying, that's not really the issue here. The issue here is that he opened my eyes. We know God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I mean, you're in denial for a while there that I was even the guy because you couldn't believe that that miracle had occurred. And now all that seems to matter to you is, is that it happened on the Sabbath and that you don't know where he comes from. he's just amazed at this. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. That's how this whole uh, story began, right? Because they said, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He's not even sure, it doesn't seem, that this is Jesus before him. Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it's he who's speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now, his response, and this whole scene right here at the end, is is a a reversal at some level of the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. Because Jesus reveals himself to this guy in the same way that he revealed himself to the woman at the well. And in both cases... There, that there, at least in the Samaritan instance, there's a, there is actual sin. Her life, you know, this this many husbands, and now you're living with some dude, um, and him. The assumption or the presumption is there was sin involved, and so these would have been outcasts in the community. And we know here that they've cast him out already, and so Jesus sees him as an outcast in this way, and then he reveals himself to him. And, and these are the only two people he reveals himself so clearly to. And he says, Jesus goes on to say, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say you, we see, your guilt remains. So it can't be atoned for because you won't repent of it. You believe yourself to possess knowledge. Now, remember in the Samaritan woman passage, once they heard her testimony, they began to believe something. And then once they had seen Jesus and spent some time with him, they came to believe. Here, among his own people, it's exactly the opposite. They don't believe. They don't believe anything. They don't believe what happened to the man. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he did a much greater thing here in the healing of this guy born blind and so but he's the only one 
in this place who receives Jesus simply because they all can't believe it because they're hung up on where's he from and did he do this on the Sabbath. In the epistle, Paul is speaking here of the Jews as we get ready to move into this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear their, them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And, and he could say, because I know, because I've been there. I was the guy who had a zeal for God. And in that zeal for God, I persecuted the church of Christ until he knocked me down on the road to Damascus and revealed himself to me. So we have a zeal for God. It's easy for people to have a zeal for God, but no knowledge of God. You see that same thing in Apollos, who has to be instructed more accurately on the way. You see it whenever Paul comes to Ephesus and finds these people there who claim to know something, but it's only what Apollos had to give them at the time. So Paul gives a, a more in, information on this, and knowledge is an important thing. Knowledge means that we understand and know. And so here he says they have a zeal for God, which is admirable, but they do that without knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. And how is he in near you, in your mouth and in your heart? By the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So he is always with us in the form of Holy Spirit. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's important for both those things to be true. It's not something we're intended to keep locked up in our minds. It's something that's so wonderful and such a cause of joy that we proclaim it with our mouths. It's important that we do both those things, that we be convicted and convinced, and that we also then share the good news of Jesus Christ of self, for salvation. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, in, again, from yesterday, God has a purpose and a plan for everything, and it's our job to get on board with that plan and to wait and to watch and to continue to stay with him through all the ups and downs, twists and turns of this life. We're called to stay with him, to commit our lives to him, to trust him in all things, to be like the man born blind, and he's the remnant that's going to be left there in the place where he is. He will be the remnant and the witness to the others of what God has done in the same way that the Gerasene demoniac stayed among those who didn't believe, who rejected Jesus, and became a witness among them that they couldn't deny, ultimately. It's important that we bear witness to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ.